Steve Happy Monday, I think we had the least interesting, like, cool guy hunting weekend ever. We just had the dad life going. <laughs> Whatever, man. Dad, like, I love being dad life. And uh, I think, um, yeah, I told Jake, he's like, what are you doing on Friday? I'm like, I'm cleaning the garage this weekend, and I am stoked. <laughs> like, someday when you grow up and you're a man, you'll understand how cool that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was funny. We were chatting here before the podcast. And I was like, what'd you do? And they like, clean the garage. I was like, cool. I moved my storage shed and reorganized it. So, wow. I, yeah. we I think I was feel pretty lame. most excited because we, you know, passed the kids off to grandma for Friday night and all day Saturday. And just like having an entire day to myself just to like yeah. get things done is just exciting because it's yes such a freaking pain in the butt to just get anything, anything that takes more than an hour. You know, it's pretty hard to find the time or or if i you know i got the kids with me they're literally like they want to be with me so they're hanging on to your freaking leg and um yeah anyways i had that thought this weekend because the last two weekends are just like almost dark to dark have been working on house projects outside and uh it's <laughs> this weekend i had the thought it's like this is some of the things i like about a hunting trip like we're just working dark to dark you don't know what time it is you're not checking your phone. You don't even know where your phone's at. Like that whole thing. I was like, I, I kind of am getting that this weekend, even though I'm, you know, just doing a house project. I don't know what time it is. I don't care what time it is. My phone's not going off. Like this is pretty cool. <laughs> just having that break. So listeners, hopefully you did something more fun and more adventurous outside than organizing things. So Steve, the, the death hike is coming up, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got, uh, uh, three weeks basically uh, in my head i got three weeks of like hard training still to go and then we can take kind of taper off the week leading up to it so we're four weeks out yeah i don't know that we've shared kind of the latest plan or thoughts or what we're wanting to share ahead of time because guys may have heard we're trying to you know do a snowshoe thing and retackle last year's idea after covid messed that up but you also threw in uh, a decent variable in there that was unexpected <laughs> Yeah, we're, uh, I thought we mentioned it, but yeah, we're going to fly we? into the Frank church, um, drop off different guys at different airstrips and, you know, just, there's only one way out back to, um, hike out. So, um, I'm like, I emailed everybody and said, Hey, please buy life flight insurance. Uh, you know, not that it, like, cause it's, it just takes one twisted angle when you're, you know, 25 miles in either direction from a place somebody can come get you, whether it's an airstrip or a road and, um, you know, that could shut you down. So uh, cheap $69 insurance to have life flight there. Yeah. People, uh, the reactions are pretty funny when you sent that out of like, what are you getting us into? It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. I just, there's that variable of the snow. I mean, I think, you know, it's probably gonna be around 40 ish miles start to finish and, and 35, 30, 35 is going to be on snow. And, I think a lot of that, the snow is going to be 15 feet deep. So it just depends on, is that all hard packed and crusty? You walking on top of it or are you sinking down to your knees? That's, that's going to be kind of the, the biggest deal. So mm -hmm. Cool. Well, let's uh, get into some listener questions uh, and first kind of some listener feedback from last weekend. We had our uh, bit of a conversation there on budget spotters and got a recommendation from someone. Uh, and then also in the same emails, uh, in that same email, some would have pushed back, which we can get into as well. Hmm. Uh, but he had a recommendation. He's been using a scope that I've never seen. 
And so I thought it was worth throwing out there. He said he's been super happy with it for, uh, I think, like five or six years. And it's a Pentax, um, which was not on my radar, but a Pentax PF65ED. Uh, and that's the scope body. And then he has uh, their SMC 14 millimeter eyepiece, which for that eyepiece specifically is fixed. Uh, but he said it's very clear, very color neutral, has good lights. And all in, he's invested at like 750. So relatively compact, relatively light scope, obviously fixed power, which I mentioned, but I uh, just thought it was worth throwing out there. And then he mentioned in the emails like, hey, I'm not sure if you guys even want to say anything about this scope because it's not something you sell. And he mentioned that in passing, uh, but it stood out to me because I just want him to know and essentially everyone to know that yes, at times we'll talk about things like you sell through SNS, Steve, but good Lord, I feel like 90% of the gear we talk about isn't something we sell. So (laughs) clearly not the goal of the podcast. Um, But yeah, so if guys are interested in another option for a budget spotter i know you know in the past we mentioned um the vortex the athlon the nikon uh, maybe this pentax is a good option and he he said he found out about this scope and had actually a good tip which i have heard before but never pursued myself of when you're looking at reviews and options for spotting scopes he was basically saying just don't feel stuck in the hunting world and actually look at birding forums bird watchers mm-hmm. he said if there's anybody who uses glass and obsesses about it as much or more than hunter it's birders um which i thought was a good tip especially for guys who are newer because it can be you know i even think of clothing right like there's so much good information and good gear out there from quote-unquote non-hunting brands uh, in this case for optics and can be for clothing and things like that as well that's just worth broadening your broadening your scope if you're looking at new gear and new options, new places for reviews. Just don't, don't get stuck in that kind of hunting bubble, if you will. Yeah, that's, um, that's funny. I think I used to own this Pentax scope probably 10, 12 years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't think the models changed. It looks about the same. It was, it was good glass. It'd be interesting to compare it and run it up against some of the stuff you're using currently. But, um, I remember it's just good glass for sure. So Yeah. Cool. And I, I part of the pushback he had, and uh, I had a good, email with him like conversation wasn't heated by any means but uh he uh he had some very i guess like strong stance i I think he maybe took our position a little bit stronger than it was of us saying like invest in good glass or just don't do anything period Mm. um and he just thought that that was kind of like a disservice to to some people who couldn't afford higher end gear so i don't think that's like strictly what we were saying and i think we tried to provide alternatives but uh yeah if you know if you don't have the money for a swaro and you have 700 bucks and you want a spotter then then great but i think even as we said in that podcast like don't even assume you have to have a spotter some guys do some guys don't it's it's like i said in the last episode some hunts you'll live and die by a spotter and sometimes you just flat out don't need it and where i'm coming from is a lot of new hunters see spotting scopes in somebody's gear lists or things like that and just assume that they need one when in all reality there's so many better ways to honestly spend their money up front in many circumstances again depending on the hunt the terrain all that yeah my approach on i totally understand his thought process there um it's just in spotting scopes in particular 
you because the glass because you're magnifying the image so much that the the glass really plays an important role like in binos where it's just 8x or 10x you know you don't see the the quality differences from a $500 to 2000 right there i mean you a good pair of $500 binos goes a really long ways um, and you you're getting like very marginal increases in quality you know you're maybe jumping up 10% from like a you know trying to think of a good um uh, you know just kind of that five six hundred dollar bino price range probably like a vortex viper or something like that um spotting scopes that's a much wider gap like a, a cheap 500 hundred dollar spotting scope is you know going to be sufficient sure but when you compare that to a higher end scope uh, the difference is is really big so i i think my approach is in the interest of saving you money um, cause you, you know, if, if you're going to be using that spine scope a lot, uh, I would just delay per the purchase by a season or two and, and just continue to save. You know, I could understand if you like had a hunt that year that you needed to buy it and your, your budget was 500 bucks, then, then for sure, you know, you got to get the best you can. Um, but, uh, you're, you're probably better off if you can wait a couple of years, save more and, and just get a nicer scope and those nicer, you know, uh, 10, 15 year old Swaros just hold their clarity for a long time. And it's just, that's going to be a, you know, near lifetime purchase for you um, versus buying something cheaper. That's may or may not have some QC issues and four or five years down the road, you got to replace it. And I said, you're overall, I think you're just better off to save and, and wait. Yeah. Cool. We had um, an interesting question kind of on optics as well, but more on support. So more on tripods and specifically getting into monopods, which we'll get into. And I thought this was a, an interesting question to kind of look at, think about, because I feel like it's um, a little bit untapped. Like it's, it's a niche for sure. We'll get into it. Um, but I'm also starting to see more and more uh, products geared towards this uh, for ultralight optic support outside of full featured tripods. So uh, we'll get into the question and talk about some of what's out there. But this guy wrote in and said, over the past couple of seasons, I've noticed that I often don't even open my tripod when glassing with binos. Recently, I stumbled upon some carbon fiber monopods that weigh significantly less than any tripod. I've also seen another company that makes a hunting-specific monopod stick for glassing with binos. I'm looking at ordering these soon, and I'm curious if you guys have any experience with them or other monopods in general. Lastly, in trying to multi-purse gear and trying to multi-purpose gear items in my pack, it seems like I could just use a trekking pole if I could get a stud slash screw attachment in the top for my binos. So basically, what what is out there and what can you do to support, in this case, he's keeping the context to binos uh, without full-on tripod. So... Yeah, there's there's a ton of options actually, Steve, and some of that's like just using a trekking pole. Period. Um, a, a lot of guys might be surprised at how well that works. Uh, obviously, it depends on how much you're glassing and things like that. But if you're sitting down for a relatively short time and you know kind of glassing a hillside and you want more than just field support on your knees or something like that, you can certainly throw up your binos over your trekking pole grip. That works. Something. I've started to do, Steve, we've talked a lot about the quick sticks um, and shooting off of those, but I realized that that works great for binos as well. The quick sticks create this X, right? And creates a cradle to put your rifle 
in. So you're dropping the stock between your grips essentially and the V that's created there. And I've just found that with less of an angle, with less of a V, it's super easy to position so that the grips on my trekking poles support the lenses, the barrels of the binos. Um, and so instead of having a single trekking pole in the hinge of the binos, which obviously tends to allow them to pivot side to side, each grip of the trekking pole supports the barrel or the lens of the binos and that actually works super well. So I've started doing that a bit. And then as he mentioned, there are a bunch of options out there. So one new one that I've seen but have not used is called the Kestrel glassing system. It's a super light uh, monopod that connects to binoculars. I think it's like six ounces, uh, but is relatively single purpose. Um, this guy mentioned trekking pole adapters. There are some out there. Black Diamond makes one uh, where you can convert their trekking poles to have a one-fourth by 20 adapter for an optics plate. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of options out there. ProMaster, like I have one of their tripods, and you can quickly unscrew one of the legs, turn it, turn it into a monopod. Um, so if you want like one solution where, yeah, sometimes I want a tripod, sometimes I want a monopod, I want to choose between the two, you could go that route. Um, Tricer USA is another newer kind of niche company um, and kind of an interesting idea. They take trekking poles and actually flip them upside down. So you're using the tips of your trekking poles and insert that into their product, which is an adapter that basically can convert your trekking poles into, they have a bipod and a tripod version like so the tricer head there's a two-legged three-legged version and you essentially insert your trekking poles tip into the product for the tricer and then that becomes its own optics plate so yeah I just think it's interesting that you know when I sat down and thought about this question at first I was like uh you know I'm not sure what's out there but then I started to think about it and it's like man there's actually a, a whole bunch of options out there and I think this is going to be its own little niche that continues to grow when guys want more field support, maybe want some utility or try to multi-purpose some gear and don't need or want, you know, a full-on tripod. So any experience with any of that stuff, Steve, or thoughts there? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't tried like a monopod or even a bipod for glassing with my binos. Um, I, I think I get... Um, yeah, I, I could see it'd be interesting to try the, the monopod, like something that adapted to your trekking pole, like that mm -hmm. tricer system where it's, you know, very minimal weight. Um, it could be interesting to check out for sure. Um, for me, it's uh, either I just sit down, you know, and, and you kind of keep put your knees up and then brace your elbows on your knees. Um, and that gets me pretty stable to glass from. And then if I want more, then I would say just, you know, you're never going to get as stable as just throwing it on a tripod. Um, but I could see that, you know, there's certain hunts where maybe it's a only a four or five ounce thing you you pack along with it that, um, I don't know, I, that uh, you can use your tracking poles and that stabilizes a lot. It'd be interesting to play with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't done it. Yeah. To me, the most appealing option is just the versatility of trying to multipurpose something, right? So it's not right. packing a monopod. It's how do I best use my trekking poles or some other device and turn that into field support. So yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't see... I don't know. The throwing your binos on a tripod is just freaking amazing. I mean, it, it just, it feels like you effectively doubled like your magnification on your binos. You just, it is so, because the image is so stable, um, you can just see a lot further, 
pick up movement, pick up small details um, that I just don't see. Like, I think you're just kind of like a, a happy medium with some of the other products that are kind of in between uh, where you're not fully getting that advantage of a tripod mounted binocular. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I will uh, we'll play around with it on some spring bear hunts and give some feedback. I yeah. Just One of the things to me on a tripod that's tough to beat, like, yes, the stability, everything you just said, but just the freedom that it gives you to be in different positions, right? So you just don't have to sit there stuck with knees up and hands or elbows on knees. You don't have to deal with just like contorting to a certain position for a monopod. You can easily take breaks, go hands free, shift around. And if you're truly spending time behind the glass, that's just tough to beat. Yeah. And you can, I like to kind of grid on planes too, right? Like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. lock in the, on the tripod head, lock in the, the elevation and then and then just leave your panning set right so i'm just glassing a hillside at one certain elevation and then i'll get across it and then drop down and come back uh the other way and uh, gives you that kind of advantage because it's always staying in the same spot yeah cool yeah well i'll leave uh some of those items in the show notes if you guys want to check them out and then yeah i mean it's an area where as you said steve it's maybe fun to play with that on some hunts and report back and obviously listeners feel free to do the same um shifting gears topics uh there's some questions on dehydrating uh, this guy wrote in and said i know in the past there was a podcast or two on dehydrating your own foods i don't recall hearing info about storage and how long it's safe to store dehydrated foods for consuming them maybe i missed that and then he said specifically if i'm dehydrating ground beef and vacuum seal it how long can it be stored safely at room temperature or in a cool dark place before needing to be in the freezer or fridge uh yeah he had some other things to say but that's essentially the point there i wanted to bring that up uh, a couple reasons number one for guys who haven't heard that podcast it's a great one and it's kind of far back in the archives but it's episode 129 is when we talked about using a dehydrator and making your own meals for backcountry hunts and backpacking that would you know rival a mountain house or equivalent uh, and that's something I've personally done quite a bit, really enjoy, and is very simple. Um, and then just to touch on a few of the specifics he asked about, number one is he mentioned uh, room temperature storage and then mentioned freezer or fridge. I would just say for anyone listening, don't store them in a fridge, period. Um, you want to store them in a freezer or at room temperature. You don't want to store them in a fridge. Um yeah, to answer that question on storage, um, I'm not a scientist, don't play one on the internet, I haven't researched this, but from my own experience, I have eaten meals that I've dehydrated that were a year old and were stored at room temperature, and I've eaten meals that were pushing two years old that I had stored in a freezer. Uh, in fact, just recently, um, you may have heard on a podcast, Steve and I pulled Cameron out of school and like did a last minute camping trip. I was like, oh, I got these old meals in the freezer. I'm just going to pull it out and see how it is. And it was almost two years old Um, and it was freaking delicious. So, and I didn't die. I'm here to talk about it. So yeah, the, the main thing is, is if it's truly dehydrated properly, meaning that moisture is removed and then it's stored well. uh, And by that, I, you know, you just want to keep obviously air, moisture, light, heat, and temperature swings away from it. Um, 
yeah, I, it stores well. It de- dehydrated food does not have the shelf life of freeze dried food. So you know you can get a mountain house and store it for till the zombie apocalypse in seventy years or seventy days. We'll see. Um, dehydrated meals, I wouldn't say have that shelf life, but a reasonable shelf life of you know in the winter do you want to dehydrate some meals and like prepare for the summer or the fall hunting seasons and then eat those meals six eight months a year later that's totally doable um in my experience so yeah the the dehydrated things you know it's super easy don't be intimidated by it if it's all new to you or you want to hear more about it that episode 129 is a great resource to go back to yeah, I think the only thing I've ever heard is the if there's any fat, like very fatty meats, don't store well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant to mention that as well when he mentioned ground beef. Um, if you're purchasing or using ground beef, get it as lean as possible. Or, um, you know, what I do is just try and use game meat, right? Because it's more lean in general and I already have a ton of it. So if you're doing ground elk, ground deer... Um, and you don't add fat to that when it's ground or when it's processed, that's the perfect thing to use, Um, and it will store better. Yeah, fats you want to avoid dehydrating in general. Um, They can go rancid, and so you just want it to be lean options. Um, And then another tip that I do, and I believe we discussed this in that podcast, is I add some breadcrumbs to the ground meat when I cook it, before I dehydrate it, and that helps with rehydrating it. Those breadcrumbs get dehydrated with the meat, and then when it rehydrates, it just gives a better like texture and consistency. So I want to say it's like a quarter cup per pound. I could be off, but we I'm pretty sure we discuss in the podcast. Um, and if not, that information is easy to find online. But there's a lot of great resources out there um, for dehydrated meals, for sure. Steve, let's wrap up with a non-gear question, a random one that came in, but I thought it would be fun to talk about. What is a hunting experience that has really humbled you? You go first. Oh, come on. (laughs) Let me think about this one. (laughs) So many to pick from. I know, so many to pick from. Yeah, two things came to mind, and I can tie them to two specific stories stories but they're also two different ideas of being humbled because the first one I thought of was being humbled from a hunt is you know just getting my butt handed to me physically or you know Mm -hmm. just being on the struggle bus and like humbled and either you know I suck as a hunter or you know that was terribly difficult like that's humbling but then honestly another thing that came to mind in terms of being humbled is just the opportunity that I've had to hunt with other people and humbled at the fact that they would share like their time, energy, knowledge, and what have you with me. Um, so even even the elk, you know, that I killed this fall with you and Tyler, it's I'm still humbled by the fact that, especially even Tyler in that context. No offense, Steve, um, but he drove all the way like to come hunt with us and to help pack out elk. He didn't even have a tag, right? And so to me, it's humbling that someone would take time to drive over and hang out and be away from their family and then literally in Tyler's scenario show up and immediately start packing elk. It was just the way that that worked. Um, so to me, that's, that's humbling. Um, and then, you know, humbling to share the experience with you, Steve, humbling to 
you know, be in the Alaska trip and like share all that camaraderie. Like it's just super cool to have people give of themselves. Like I said, whether that's time, energy, knowledge, what have you to help you in your hunting pursuits. So to me, that's an example of being humbled. Um, in terms of just getting my butt kicked, the first thing that came to mind is just the first elk I ever packed out. Like I, probably for everyone, if you know, if you're, especially from my context, I've grown up a, a white-tailed deer hunter in the Midwest, and then the first elk that I packed out, um, yeah, it just was to this day. It was maybe most the most difficult pack out, but uh, yeah, that that alone is humbling to walk up for me to walk up onto an elk for the first time, realize how big they are. Uh, in that situation, we were almost six miles from the truck. Um, we we completely got our butts kicked and we're new hunters and we're in or over our heads. Yeah, it was humbling for sure. So yeah, those are the kind of the couple things that come to mind. That's why I was telling that on your bowl there when when Tyler came out came to meet us to pack it out. You know, I was telling that story to somebody the other day of like we literally I in reach message him, you know, because I knew he was showing up to camp about noon that day and it was like what one o'clock or something. I said, bowl down, yeah. like we'll get the quarters out, we'll meet you at camp, we'll come back in, and then you know, don't get anything, don't get anything. And all of a sudden the next message I see is on my way i'm like what the hell <laughs> look, on the, look on the map and he's we were like what eight miles back there or something like that and he's freaking already covered six miles like yeah he was like just, a mile and a half out or all something. he had was our pinpoint on the inreach uh which is you know sometimes accurate sometimes not and he just he just said f it i parked his truck on the side of the road and started hiking in to meet us just to come back out an elk like yeah he got there before we had that whole thing quartered up which was awesome yep. so and then we all foolishly tried to one trip that bull out of there which <laughs> didn't last super long oh <laughs> uh, we got the big hard body part bowl, of the way man. Yeah. yeah um humbling tri- okay, so probably first trip to alaska lenny and i's moose hunts um gosh we've mentioned that multiple times on the podcast but um that was truly a humbling experience in a lot of ways and that um you know just so after it during it was so appreciative of of how lucky we are here you know if if you live in the rocky mountains and like we all just have so much access and it's so easy to go hunting you think of alaska as this awesome amazing place to go hunting but even as a resident you know there's sure there's drive up opportunities but a lot of guys i mean if you want to go sheep hunting you're spending a couple thousand bucks to jump in a plane and go fly somewhere where at home i can you know, I can spend $15 in gas and, and then go hike in the middle of the Frank church wilderness and be as remote and alone as you could get next to Alaska. Um, so that's, that was kind of a cool aspect of it, of like just being appreciative of how lucky we are here uh, in Idaho. Um, the other part was, it was just a really physical, tough hunt um, that uh, it definitely like changed some of my perspectives on things, you know, just appreciating the toughness and then having that, having being able to keep a positive attitude through that whole trip um, and then come out successful, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of humbling in the end, I guess, to like, Oh, that's cool. We freaking did that, you know? Yeah. Um, Tough conditions. And, and then, I mean, a long time too. It's right. not like that was a five day hunt. How long were yeah. you guys out there? I think it was, it was supposed to be 14. And I think we were there for 12 of the 14, something like that. Dude. Yeah. That's a haul, um, man. And then humbling or, 
like again we're so spoiled where if you want to leave you leave well up there you're just like you, all you're left with is in reaching the air service and be like well we tagged out and you know just not having done that before of like just expecting them to like come you know within 24 hours right we ended up i can't remember how many days two or three days that we had to wait for them to come pick us up um so just that a lot of stuff is out of your control and you just have to have a different level of patience and you know um it, that's a hard thing to like just sit back and relax and it's like well they're gonna get us when they get us you know whether that's 24 hours or five days you know you're just sitting there waiting so mm-hmm. um yeah that was a that was a that was a cool trip um on hunting skills the hunting the first trip i ever did hunting with the born and raised so cody and, and trent um if uh those guys if you have anyone follows those guys along cody's been a really great friend of mine for a lot of years um and we had hunted like uh some blacktails and stuff together but uh, it was 2017 we went elk hunting and i realized like how terrible i was as a caller and not necessarily like i can make the sounds but they know how to use them right um i mean we go i go like if i'm out hunting with a buddy or whatever like we're gonna call in 10 to 20 percent of bulls like if we hear a bugle um you know it said two out of ten we're gonna like see that bull and get close enough to maybe get a, a shot with the bow well hunting with those guys we were batting like 90 percent. i mean it was such a stark contrast and i still don't exactly know what the hell they do different um <laughs> but, but like I, I mean it's truly in the technique and the sound of the calls and and the timing of it um but it was that was humbling it's like holy crap like i thought i was a decent enough elk caller and now i don't even pretend to be like it's just like yeah i suck like compared to that level um so i'm freaking terrible so that was cool to it like opened my eyes to you know you, you hear so many guys complain about like oh the you know the elk just he bugled and he ran the other way and you know there's too much hunting pressure in here or the bulls just don't respond like they used to and um hunting with those guys it was like you know probably like stepping back in time but i think just uh elk are more used to hearing more people call so you got to sound really real and authentic and then if you can you're going to start calling in a lot of bulls so that mm-hmm. was um that was humbling for sure yeah Cool. Well, that's a, yeah, it's a good wrap on this one. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuned in. If you have any questions for us or any feedback, as always, send us that email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll be back on Wednesday with a full-length episode. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe or follow button so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we will talk to you soon.